storytelling. I think, like I said, I'm a scientist and an academic and I love data, but that passion to be able to share information has been ignited through this process. Hello and welcome back to another episode of MVP, the marketer's most valuable perspective, uh, a podcast by Dear Storyteller and State of Social. My name is Mike Drysdale. I am your host. I am the general manager of Dear Storyteller and we are recording live at Optus Stadium at State of Social 2022. And for the next 20 minutes, we are going to be deep diving into the most valuable perspectives of none other than Holly Ludman. Holly, welcome to the show. Thank you. Um, I had the pleasure of sitting down and watching your talk yesterday. Um, it is a journey that I am familiar with um, naturally, kind of like got a, what are the state your bias or something like that at the beginning of a podcast, <laughs> Holly, you did a lot of your work with the Livestock Collective, which is what it was called back then. Is it, it's changed its name now, right? We're still the Livestock okay. Collective. Well, okay. we're, yeah. we're in a process. Yeah. Um, but you did a lot of that work with Dear Storyteller's sister agency, Lush, the content agency. And at the time, it came out of like a fundamental need. It was not a nice to have. It was almost an existential crisis. Absolutely. Crisis event that drove my passion for... Uh, animal welfare and, and I'm a veterinarian like mm. let's put that out there I'm not a marketer or a social media expert at all so yeah this is a really different event for me to be at a really different audience to talk to yeah. um, but I think there's learnings from what we did with Lush mm. and other consultants that are really valuable for other people in this space to hear and something that strikes me about the kind of tact that you took with this from from the get-go was that it was it was almost a little bit non-interventionalist uh, in the sense that you may not naturally be a marketer or a branding person or a social media person or what have you, but you have managed to turn into a storyteller and you have told the story of <laughs> this livestock collective by turning on the cameras. Yeah. And you talked about it in the sense of like there was a void of information. And something that I think is really interesting about what you did was that the content that you captured, there was no steering that was like awfully like hands-on, like let's show you this, let's show you that. It was very much like do less, just show. Just yeah. turn on the cameras, roll, and let the story kind of take care of itself. Yeah. Yeah, and I think even just that first blog I did, that care and that passion came comes through in agricultural people. You don't need to get them to say what you want them to say you just need to ask them the right questions and I think that storytelling I think like I said I'm a scientist and an academic and I love data but that passion to be able to share information has been ignited through this process and then getting other people to do that has been really inspiring like just asking a truck driver and a shearer just tell me why you do what you do why you care about what you do and that really resonated with the audiences I think in a way that like you said, there was no information available, so it was pretty easy to fill that void. Um, but also now I think, like you said, turn the cameras on, an open book can't be rewritten. Whereas at the time of starting this project, you know, the book had been written for us mm. and it was awful. Yeah, I think that's such a, such a fascinating point to kind of pass because there's this... It, it's something that we've come up with time and time again when we've talked to clients and, and one sort of specific client that I can think of where there's a conversation around like water cooler chatter. And this was a cultural conversation that we were having. 
And the the idea was that it's like, um, well, if people are talking, they're just being commercially immature. They just don't understand the pressure of what we're talking, what why we can't share with them the information that we're sharing with them. And I asked him, are you sharing all the information that you can? Because at the end of the day, those conversations are going to happen and mm-hmm. they are happening. The only difference is you don't have a voice. You can be part of it or not. Yeah. And uh, yeah, absolutely. In the agricultural industry, some of these conversations were happening without the industry having a voice. Yeah. And so that's a really dangerous place to be. Um, and and I don't think it's authentic if it comes from like that industry policy body either. And that's possibly why this was so effective and had the movement that it created was because it authentically came from grassroots people sharing their stories and, you know, while some of the footage ended up being um, professional, there were still those kind of real authentic personal experiences from people, you know, a truck driver talking about why he does what he does. It's, cr- it's crazy to me to think that, um, yes, some of the, the footage was professional, but then what, what you did was you taught a man to fish. <laughs> um, you, probably some people that really know how to fish too. Um, but you, you, you brought them in and you trained them and you ran workshops sort of with Lush and, and others I'm imagining as well where you got them in the position where they could have their own voice as well. And for I guess like there's something so fundamental about that. It doesn't seem like something that is naturally kind of it's like who doesn't know how to post on social media? Well... <laughs> Most people. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> and I think having the confidence to tell your story, whether it's around a dinner table, on social media, writing an opinion piece, talking at a school. Like I you know, became, I suppose, through this journey, passionate about empowering the supply chain. As passionate as I was about, I've got to you know, create this content and website and you know, momentum of the Livestock Collective. It was about, well, I want a thousand of me. Mm around the country and maybe it'll be 10,000 that have the confidence to share their stories. And you have created that in some ways, right? Like this ag influencer kind of market has almost become a cottage industry. Can you tell me about a couple, I know you mentioned a couple, but like talk about sort of what they've managed to accomplish in, in this short space of time? Yeah, there's a few, um, and I suppose we do the workshops and a lot of them might be ag influencers or have great followings already, but someone like the cattleman's daughter, she's from a station up north and had a great following already, but giving her even more confidence, um, you know, and that brand is beautiful. But she talks about tough things like living in rural, uh, regional Australia, mental health. And then there's some, you know, really fun people like Mandy Matthews, who has like hundreds of thousands of followers on TikTok and shows some really confronting footage, but it's confronting if you're not part of the ag industry so like you know seeing lambs being given birth to seeing like everyday practice on farm and just really normalizes it and makes mm. it fun yeah and i think that kind of links back to um was it Fernando, our first talker like I make was, cool shit like yeah and, I was, <laughs> and ag can do that i was literally about to bring him up because that idea of f1 drive to survive which we we saw in the first keynote at state of social this year so much of that is that every race car driver became a character yeah. And we suddenly had a level of investment in those characters. We wanted to know where they were going to go next, what they were going to do. And <laughs> yeah. it's like for our entire history, right? Like Australians have had a mythology around the Bushmen, the, yeah. the, 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 the Ned the, Kellys. Exactly, of the world. Yeah. And that was my passion was like, I want a livestock agent, a truck driver, a shearer to have that personality for someone in the city to like feel connected to what their jobs are because yeah. they're these unsung heroes of the bush that make the, our communities tick. Yeah, and I think outside of the history books, 
um, you've got movies, you've got these kind of scripted yeah. character portrayals, actors that have played them, but we haven't really had straight up access to these real life characters in a in the setting that we're most used to now, which is real people telling real stories. Yeah. And I really related to that first keynote speaker too about the old school mentality of we don't need to use social media. We don't need to yes. like engage with the young people. And I mean like that, I was pulling my hair out with that for years. And I mean, I was just a veterinarian and a service provider, but could just see that we were so behind in the communication space. And I think after a leadership workshop, you're right, like I hear I am this analytical data but driven based person and my personality type actually puts me as this kind of innovative strategic person. So now I'm doing communication work. I like, yeah. I love it. And it's ignited this passion that I want to do more of. Um, so I suppose out of that crisis, it's definitely been a personal um, journey. I love that. And it's also in doing that, what Eccleston did and what some of these old white haired white men that sort of stood up to you at the beginning and said, this isn't going to work, we're not interested, did, yeah. is they isolated themselves and they took themselves out of the conversation. And and then I think what really is is interesting about that as well, from a to, to quote another sort of very well-known public figure, Brene Brown, okay. she says, um, one of my favourite quotes of hers is, people are hard to hate close up. Yeah. And these guys weren't close to anyone, so they were easy to hate. Yeah. But then when you put yourself there, you get vulnerable, you get on camera, you share your story, suddenly you're a bit closer. It's a bit harder to go out of hand, black and white. I just don't. That's really true. And I think once I showed, was brave and showed that vulnerability and didn't ask for permission though and kind of went forward with this project. A lot of those critics that would have probably spent too long around the board table thinking about whether to approve this were then the biggest supporters. So I think they were scared and, you know, get on with the legal business. You know, we, we shouldn't have to, you know, talk to people in the general public. Like this is regulated industry that's legal, but that's not good enough anymore. Like I suppose ethical social governance is uh, and provenance of products is really important to people. And I think yeah. our election and uh, what the community cares about has shown that. Yeah, social licence to operate, Absolutely. right? It's become an enormous thing. What drives trust and acceptance in an industry and industries can't stop listening. They're constantly looking at that trust wheel going, what, what's next? 100%. We're going to jump into our quick fire questions in just a second. Okay. Um, but the, the one thing that I kind of wanted to ask before we did was throughout this process and in your workshop yesterday, um, you put on the sound of the ticking clock. My nightmare. Yeah. <laughs> uh, that sound of 60 minutes is calling uh, or a current affair or what have you. Um, it took me so long to get that sound cut. <laughs> what, what, what's the process? I just, well, I was like, how do I download it off YouTube? And I couldn't do it. So then I had to turn a Zoom on on my own and I just recorded it and then I took the audio and then I'm not sure if that's legal. <laughs> I love it. We won't tell anyone. It's fine. It's fine. Uh, no, uh, the question that I wanted to ask was what was the scariest um, part of all this was there a single moment that you could think of where you gritted your teeth the hardest or you thought this is this is the part where I could just back out I haven't fully committed <laughs> yet or what was it I think when I released the first blog after working with Lush I walked into your office and said just follow me to the Middle East uh, and then I released that blog to, you know 200 politicians media and said and then had the biggest media scrum 
you know, I was like, this is the end of my career. <laughs> this is like the end of, you know, and the industry can come and go, but I'm putting myself completely front and centre. And that was, you know, petrifying to say the least. You guys gave me some good skills, so thank you. <laughs> but um, I think out of that fear, you know, just the people that then stood up beside me was, I suppose, the silver lining yeah. um, of everyone going, yeah, now we'll stand strong together. Oh. And we had the Justice League. <laughs> I just got hairs on the back of my neck. I mean, I thought of Avengers Assemble, so, you know, different <laughs> properties, same feeling. Um, yeah, but no, that that is really awesome. To to Sometimes you need a leader and you need somebody to step out in front of the line and say, not on my watch. Uh, and that is a terrifying experience oh, yeah. but to have the other people step up and Avengers Assemble or the Justice League <laughs> happens. Give them the confidence and now looking back that's what the bravery at the time which I, at the time I thought I was stupidity but that bravery allowed other people to feel confident to stand stronger together. I love that. What What is it like uh, communicating a brand platform that has a very loud opposition? It's interesting, you know, it, there's a lot of faceless trolls in the opposition, which I think have just lost traction recently. And maybe it was COVID or I think, you know, um, that online farm that, you know, invaded people's properties and things that, you know, there was then changes in legislation to stop. So I think there's uh, coinciding with our growth and, and authentic sharing um, activist organisations well you know freedom of speech is absolutely what I believe in you know but the way they've gone about it hasn't been as acceptable mm. um so yeah it's definitely had its challenges and getting allowing the people we support to uh have the skills if they find that challenging because it is really confronting if you get some a young person on social media that then gets attacked by an activist so we've done a lot of work on making sure people have the skills to deal with that themselves as well yeah there is a, I think there are one of the good things about communities like Reddit, for instance, is that there is that self-regulating community, right? And, yeah. And they don't really stand for the at least the violent stuff. It's like, yes, debate, yes, information, but when it's a tax, that's when... Yeah, and I think we've been really clear on that culture that we expect. And now the supply chain comes out to back for everyone. Like there's, you know, at one point in time, no one would share anything on Twitter, no one put anything on Instagram that they were even part of the industry. I remember something that impacted me and other veterinarians said, oh, they would never even tell other people they worked in the industry. And I was like, no, no, I want to change that. Like yeah. we're impacting animal welfare around the world, be proud of it. Yeah. But call out the things that should be done better yeah. and, you know, be part of the conversation. And you did, you did make the point as well that you also sometimes police the ag side of things as well. Absolutely, yeah. I think that unacceptable behaviour, it, it doesn't matter what side it's on. Yeah. I think we should call that out. You know, if you couldn't, wouldn't have that conversation over the phone mm -hmm. or face to face, then you know, I don't think it should be on social media either. Really incredible to have somebody that is willing to be that bastion and, and, and be that light bearer and sort of try to say like, hey, we're better than this. This is how we act. This is how we don't act. I think that's pretty special. Um, let's go quick fire. <laughs> uh, where do you go? to learn more about marketing. I'm going to I'm gonna say marketing because you are learning about marketing. So where do I know, you- I thought that was such a dirty word when I started. I'm just <laughs> going to put it out there. I was like, ah, marketing. Yeah. <laughs> um, well, I think I've gone to experts. Like I've gone to, you know, 
lush. I've gone to other consultants to go like, you know, what is the best way to communicate? What platform should we be using? Um, and I really like that one-on-one. I need someone to explain it to me. Like, yes, you can Google it or you can go to like podcasts or yeah. YouTube, but I, I needed that one-on-one to understand it myself. That's really validating for some people. I think that that is yeah. part of the process. Um, this is probably one that you can definitely answer because of the ag world. What's a small brand that you love and why? Ooh, so many. I want to go with a non-ag one. Uh, well, yeah, you can go with a non-ag one. I love, oh, so many. I love Apple Tree Flats, a really fun one. She's a stock woman who's worked all over the world. She's okay. vivacious and hilarious. So follow Fee Bird. Um, Fee Apple, Bird, Apple Tree Flats. Apple Tree okay. Flat, and they do like kerchiefs. So oh, in cute. the country, like you get this burnt bit on your neck. So you wear the kerchief and you can pull it up when it's dusty and she makes shirts and bespoke, um, you know, country wear, but also like, works on a vessel as a stock woman, works in markets, helping with animal welfare. Love that. And she's amazing. But I was yeah, so many. (laughs) (laughs) Um, Maybe we'll get some more later. Uh, If you could spend four hours with any marketer or business person or, I don't know, I'm going to let you open it up to where your mind wanders, but in the world, who would you choose and why? I'm going to go one non-ag. I'm just like the biggest Camilla fan. I would love to go meet with her marketers. Wait, Camilla? The brand, the clothing brand. Okay, right. So you're just the, the like, marketers of Camilla. Yeah. Okay, yeah. Well, I mean, that is a huge Australian clothing brand. I mean, no woman can have enough Camilla in their wardrobe. And this is completely off centre from ag. I love this fan girl moment. But no, that's, she that's really cool. has these like out there... Um, I suppose, patterns and uh, colours that, you know, I feel happy when I wear that stuff and I would love to meet her. I mean, her business model has been amazing. I love that. Um, what's an emerging trend in your industry that you think is going to be highly influential over the next 10 years? I think in agriculture, it's provenance. Like, I think the next generation or even now, um, you know, we want a QR code that tells us where things have come from, how they've been made, what the, you know, ESG of those companies is. Yep. Like that trend is not going away. And if we're not listening to that in whatever food fibre is being produced, um, you'll be left behind. <laughs> this question is, is almost tailor-made for you, Holly. It says, has a major public opinion recently flipped where you felt marketing or communication played a crucial role? <laughs> um, could, you, could you tell us, I mean, maybe just tell us a little bit about what the outcomes of the work that you've done has has achieved? Yeah, I think your activist organisations had a lot of power and created huge regulatory, political, public outcry. And I think we've been able to change the narrative, change the conversation, allow people to have informed decisions, um, take the pressure off political um, regulatory narratives and, and uh, as we said, just open up, um, turn the cameras on. I like it. Yeah. Um, last question. It's a two-parter. When you think about the term prized possession, what's the first branded thing that comes to mind? And just while you're thinking about that, do you remember a specific ad or piece of marketing that convinced you to buy it? This is probably, you know, quintessential ag. You know, the RM William boots are, you know, that. Good answer. You know, I got my first pair when I was 21 and I, you know, worked so hard to get them and I've still got them. Um, and I think, like, I know it's been bought out and, you know, I'm glad that Forrest has bought it back to Australian-owned. He's bought it back. But, um, yeah, that's a really romantic product. And I think it's just got a link to me to, you know, 
my uncle in the shearing shed, dad wearing them. You know, it's a really like romantic memory. And there are those ads that Aaron Williams did that um, bring that nostalgic country feeling. What did you think about the one with Hugh just um, starkers with just the RM Williams boots on? Did you like that one? <laughs> I did actually. I mean, yeah, they've got, they were trying to be a bit quirky and it worked. Yeah, yeah. it was classic. Yeah. I gotcha. Nothing but RMs. <laughs> Um, Holly, Can you have enough pairs? That's the question. <laughs> this has been an absolute joy. Uh, thank, thank you for joining us. I know that, as you said, I'm, I'm a vet. I'm a scientist. I'm an expert in these things. This is a new sort of space for me. Uh, I think you've handled yourself extremely well. I appreciate you being here and for telling your story. So thanks so much for joining us. Thanks for having me. That is all the time we have left uh, for MVP, the marketer's most valuable perspective. Give us a five-star rating or give us a rating and review on iTunes and Spotify. You choose what the rating is. Um, And uh, tune in next time that we join you for MVP, the marketer's most valuable podcast, a podcast perspective, a podcast by Status Social and Dear Storyteller. Thanks, guys. See you later.